Well, good morning, church. My name is Sandy Asker, and I'm so glad you're here today. I'm also so grateful for the Thompson family to help us look at a passage that can be a little uncomfortable and bring some humor to it. These days, it's easy to find things to criticize. I don't know about you, but I find myself looking at how other people are doing Christmas or Advent, the traditions they have with their families, how people are dressed, how they're spending their money, how much money they're spending. Uh, In fact, I have a friend that says she's really good at judging. Just now, as I was writing my sermon, I wrote here in my notes, whoever is singing that Italian version is not very well trained, and I just skipped a song on my Spotify, and I literally said out loud as I was listening to this music, I'm never going to listen to that version again, and I like, you know, thumbs downed it or whatever. So even as I'm preparing for the sermon and in the mindset of trying not to be judgmental or critical, I'm criticizing someone, a professional musician who I'm sure really was trained, and uh, anyway. So what about you? When you go throughout the days of COVID, of Christmas, of Advent, or even just online distance learning as we experienced in our family, do you find that it's just super easy to point out what's going on in other people's lives that you consider just not right? It's a real thing. It is hard, (laughs) or it's easy, depending on how you look at it. It leads to broken relationships sometimes, or at least unfriending someone on social media. Enter Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. We have been in, this pas- in these passages since October. We're on month three, right? Am I doing my math correctly? Jesus has told us to forgive, to love our enemies, to give fast and pray in secret. And he has stretched us. Some of the passages that we've been in really are challenging. And perhaps as you've been listening, you've thought, gosh, you know, I wish so-and-so could hear this message. There's something about those of us who believe in scripture that we want our hearts and our minds to conform to God's. And God knows the difference between right and wrong. And in fact, he discerns it and he judges it. So on some level, it is good that we have this part of us that becomes like God, where we know the difference between what is right and wrong. The problem is when we try to take the place of God, who is ultimately the judge. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, the context is that Jesus has started by telling us, you know those people that you might criticize or judge? Actually, those are the people that are invited to be part of this kingdom in the Beatitudes. He reminds us that the ones we don't expect might be right at the heart of the kingdom. He tells us that we need to be salt and light, to offer forgiveness, to be authentic, and last week invited us to give us alternatives to anxiety. So in Matthew 7, we're going to start at verse 1. But first, let's pray. God, as we think about our need for eye surgery today, uh, God, as we consider your word, I do pray that your spirit would open our hearts. Lord, this is not an easy passage to preach, as I encourage others not to judge, and in so doing that I wouldn't be judging as I preach. Lord, as we come before you and acknowledge that you are the judge, Or maybe we have questions, God, about who you really are and how it is that you can be the judge if you are righteous and if you are just. Lord, we just invite you to speak to us today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So starting in Matthew 7 at verse 1, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Well, I kind of feel like, can I just read that and walk off the stage? 
Jesus has so many of these phrases where it really does feel like, what else can I say about that, really? Jesus says for us not to judge. And I wish that I could tell you today that there is a Greek word here used for judgment, and it's real specific, and we know exactly what Jesus is getting at. That's not the case today. (laughs) This word for judgment is actually pretty broad. It can mean esteeming someone. You know, you're walking through the mall and you go, ooh, I like that girl's coat. All the way to a judge uh, sentence in a courtroom. Jesus is probably talking about the ways that we look at people, however. We esteem them and we condemn them. We set them apart in a certain category. It makes more sense that that's what Jesus is calling us to be cautious against. Jesus warns us that as we critique others, payback might be a little tricky. (laughs) It's going to come right back on us. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. Consider the Bible. Consider the life of Jesus. As he interacted with others, he did point out what's right and wrong right? However, he also spent a whole lot of time having meals with sinners, so much so that people judged him and criticized him for it. Imagine what it would be like in heaven someday. We're probably not going to be judging each other, right? Love and grace is going to win. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount really is about, is Jesus is inviting us into this life where how it is going to be one day, we get to live like that now, and we get to press that out into a culture that desperately needs that eternal vision today. And judgment has no place in heaven. Jesus continues in Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, oh, let me take that speck out of your eye? Can you imagine this? I wear contacts, so I'm always digging in my eyes. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. One thing that I've never really noticed before as I've studied this passage is everyone mentioned in the passage has something in their eye. Whether it's a piece of sawdust or a huge plank. Eyes full of dirt, woods, and specks, they cannot see clearly. And again, if you read the Sermon on the Mount in total, there's this section about having your eyes healthy, full of light, so that they can see clearly. And here we have the eye image again. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, y'all, whether we love Jesus and follow him or not, we got stuff in our eyes. (laughs) And if you have not come to that point of acknowledging to God that you have some things in your life that need help, I invite you today to be honest about what's going on in your own eye. We are called to have healthy eyes full of light, but how can we do that if we're all broken? I think what Jesus is saying here, primary point of this section, is that we need to acknowledge the plank in our own eyes. 
The word plank here is imagine a home in ancient Israel. Imagine a home that has huge long beams that are central to the foundation of that building. And then the other word where it says speck of sawdust is translated in the NIV can also mean literally a straw. You could blow it away in a minute, right? A plank? Not so much. (laughs) Has anyone tried to ever lift like a big plank that goes into a roof by yourself? It's tricky, isn't it? So if I am going to first remove the plank into my own eye, I might need some help. The first project is our own mess. And don't we have enough there to manage? (laughs) Well, that's humbling. Jesus asks us to keep our focus on our own mess first. Now, I was talking with somebody yesterday about this idea of judgment and criticism, and this person I was with is very kind, and I don't know if she really struggles with being judgmental and critical, but I will tell you what we started talking about. Do you have these people during COVID who have like redecorated their house, learned Spanish because they didn't know it before. Um, They decided they learned how to make homemade sourdough bread. Uh, Maybe they're making their own kombucha and so they've got the mother growing. Um, While their kids are doing online distance learning, I literally heard this story. There's a mom who has secret rooms for her children that during breaks they get to go into these rooms and they make Christmas crafts during their breaks. And I said to my friend, and I'm sure that they have like homemade organic bread sitting on the table and cookies without sugar waiting for them after school is out. (laughs) And my friend and I are just grateful that we like got pants on and our kids managed to get through the day without dying. (laughs) We compare, don't we? And maybe we're not judgmental and critical about that other person, but in that comparison, what happens? We're judging. Now, is Jesus telling me that I've got a plank in my eye? And frankly, Sandy, you are a bigger mess than those around you. Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps. What I think instead is what he's saying is, Sandy, if you're going to live the way that I am sketching out here in the Sermon on the Mount, there is so much for you to work on that everybody else, kind of let them figure out their own issues. We have plenty to deal with, as I said. When I think about Reconciliation, forgiving others, being salt and light, giving, praying, and fasting in secret, and trying not to steal the glory that God deserves for all of the good things that I might do. James 4, 11 through 12 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or sister judges him and speaks against the law and judges it. But if you judge the law, you are not a practitioner of the law but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? John Wesley, just as Mother Teresa said, judging Jesus, judging Jesus is condemning here, is thinking about another person in a way that's contrary to love. If I take the place of God in in the sense that I'm judging everyone else, it pushes out that ability that I have to love others. Now, Jesus says here for us not to be hypocrites. If I, as a follower of Jesus, say to you, actually, I'm the one that does know better than everyone else, and I'm going to 
display that to you by how critical I am of others, how is that being faithful to what Christianity is all about, which is I am not God and someone else is, and I need that person to help me because I am a hot mess. Thank you for that. The term hypocrite, do you remember what this means? It means an actor on a stage who's pretending to be something she isn't. That everything's fine, I'm calm, cool, and collected. We didn't just sweat because we had major technology issues, and don't even ask me about how my children and I got here today, or how they're reading books, playing Legos, and having hot chocolate so that they can obey today. You know, like I can pretend right now that all that isn't happening, but for those of you at home, that's really what's been happening. A hypocrite is someone who pretends everything is fine and never admits their brokenness. And what happens? Planks in the eye, right? Jesus also says that once we do deal with our planks, that we're able to see clearly and remove the specks from our brother or sister's eye. What I think is interesting is it never says, once you get the plank out of your eye, then make sure you go tell the person about the speck in their eye. It just says, then you can see clearly to help remove it. We'll talk about that again in a little bit. So moving on to verse six. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Sorry, do not throw your pearls to pigs. I'm reading my own version in my head. If they do, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Verse six, well, Jesus, nothing is easy here in the Sermon on the Mount. This passage, I kind of wish I could just like skip this verse and just focus on the judgment stuff because I think there's plenty there to work with. But as we read scripture and there are things listed in context with others, it's important for us to look at that and say, Jesus, what's going on here? Here's my best stab at what's happening in this section. Jesus talks about dogs and pigs, depending on your version, Either of those animals were not considered clean. Pigs weren't. Jews didn't eat them. They didn't have them on their land. They considered them unclean, dirty, likely because of all the things that they ate and God told them not to eat them. And dogs were the same way. You think about like wild dogs in the day. They ate anything. They did whatever they wanted. There's no, they're just, they're not domesticated. They're not clean animals. Contrast that with the pearls. In the book of Matthew, Jesus illustrates the kingdom of God as a great pearl that someone discovered, and they sold everything so that they could get this precious pearl. Pearls were of great value. They were precious, unlike anything else. So think about this. You've got wild dogs and pigs considered unclean, um, chaotic, destructive, with this pearl, high value. I put my pearls in my ears today. I would never just take my pearls and crush them in the blender or something, right? You just don't do that with something precious. So what I think Jesus is saying here is you think about the precious things in your life. It takes discernment, wisdom, and sober judgment as we think about our pearls, what is most precious to us, and how we offer that to others. Perhaps there's a word here for, there are certain times that we are to be loving our enemies, And we might share our precious pearls, and they're going to smack us around. Jesus is an illustration of this, right? He took that which which was most precious. They ended up crucifying him for it. That was his will. 
for his life. And there are times where that's gonna happen with us. But Jesus is saying, be discerning, be wise about what is precious to you. And consider that before you offer what is most precious. In context, what I think these two passages say is that we are to judge, and we're not, (laughs) right? There are times where we need to say that is not right, either to ourselves, and we'll talk about how do we do that when it comes to me talking to someone else about it. There are times where I have to look at someone and have some discerning thoughts, some judgment about what I'm gonna do, like how I'm gonna share my life, my most precious thoughts with them. How am I gonna trust them? So what does this look like? I was thinking about what's a real like tangible example of this. I think when we think about the church, this brother and sister language intimates in the family of God, how do we treat one another? We aren't to judge one another in the sense that I cast you out. If I find out how you vote, I'm friends with you even if I disagree. If I wanna talk about Black Lives Matter and you maybe have some issues with that, you're not gonna unfriend me. If we wanna talk about the sanctity of life and we have some different opinions about what uh, the law should say about that, could we be calm about it and have a conversation but not hate each other afterwards? Don't judge me for putting out my Christmas lights in the middle of November or how much time my kids spend on their phone checking their fantasy football teams. (sighs) When we think about those in the church, sometimes we are the worst to one another, and it's not a great way to be salt and light out in the world. So as I was thinking about like a person, you know, who's somebody that we could all look at and say, okay, and this might be too old of a reference for some people who are here in the room or those of you on the screen, but I was thinking about Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham was not a perfect soul. My job today is not to judge him. One aspect of his life I do think is worth noting. Did you guys know this? From the time of Harry S. Truman until Billy died, he always was in relationship with the U.S. president. Every single one. JFK, Nixon, Reagan, both of the Bushes, I had some pictures, Brian, maybe, of Obama going to visit Billy at his home. Yep. And uh, Trump got to celebrate Billy Graham's 95th birthday. They had this great gala, apparently, and so he got to meet him. Now, Graham, you can imagine, had some pushback for this. For instance, when Clinton called him up and probably said, yeah, I'm a little bit in some trouble right now, (laughs) and Graham went and apparently helped in the midst of the Monica Lewinsky scandal and gave Hillary and Bill Clinton some marital advice. When he died, when Billy Graham died, Jimmy Carter said this about Billy. He was broad-minded, forgiving, humble in his treatment of others. He exemplified the life of Jesus Christ by constantly reaching out for opportunities to serve. He had an enormous influence on my own spiritual life, and I was pleased to count Reverend Graham among my advisors and friends. Jesus encourages us to guard our pearls, but I think that that needs to be taken in context of loving our enemies, being salt and a light in this world, 
and thinking about the, the eternal call to justice and forgiveness. Do you remember how we just studied the Lord's Prayer? Soon, we're going to be in a passage about ask, seek, and knock. So in the light of the bookends of prayer, I think that this is how we maybe can proceed from this passage, is by praying. So remember the Plank Eye video. Oh my gosh, Aaron is just so clever. Uh, The voiceover, which is his wife, says, talk to God in the midst of that. Thank you very much, that video. Number one, we all have planks in our eyes. And would we talk to the Lord? Maybe you don't know what your plank is. I bet God would love to help you out. We all need some eye surgery, don't we? And perhaps when you think about going to God with that, it gets a little scary or daunting. And I think one of the systems that God has created is community to help us with this. Now, in the middle of COVID, it's a little crazy, but I would greatly recommend Celebrate Recovery. It's a recovery program for planks in your eye, for the big ones that everyone can see and some of the invisible ones that we would love to be hypocrites and cover up. I've been in Celebrate Recovery for over a year now, and I would say in terms of me realizing my issues with control, with food, with anxiety, with all of the planks, it has really been encouraging me to help consider God's perspective in it all and not always mine. In fact, the number one thing is remembering that I am not God. (laughs) That is the number one thought. I found that as I've been in the recovery community, there is not a lot of judgment because everyone knows they've got their own baggage to deal with and we're all in it together. Number two, as we think about praying to combat judgment, as you see that uh, maybe single mom at Sam's Club with the 10 kids who are just wild and crazy and crawling in amongst the, <laughs> the aisles, instead of me going, hmm, what if I prayed for that mom? As I'm driving and someone just cuts me off and then I see him dashing forward and I could think to myself, boy, I hope they get pulled over. Maybe instead I could pray for them because clearly something is going on that they're not acting maybe in a rational manner. When we read about other believers, perhaps, who have had public failure, or when we hear about things that are happening, it would be so quick to judge. What if we prayed for them and prayed for one another? Sometimes we're living in a house with people that we disagree with, (laughs) and I can't imagine how tricky that might be, but that we would pray for them first. And this leads to the third point. Before I go and point out the straw in your life, would I ask God if I'm the one that is supposed to speak into that person's life? Because frankly, I got enough to deal with on my own level, right? But if I am in a process of dealing with some of my own mess and I'm prayerful about it, and then I come to you with a speck in your eye, wouldn't you much prefer receiving me in that heart and that context than if I just haul off and start pointing it out in you. God, am I the one? I might see it so clearly, but am I the one to talk to them about it? Well, I believe that Jesus can help us because we are all broken and he knows it. He sees what is in our eye. Romans 14 is how I want to close today in a prayer. The words will be on the screen, but feel free to listen with me as I pray. God, God, you tell us 
you ask us not to judge our brothers and sisters, not to treat them with contempt because one day we will all stand before the judgment seat. Lord, you wrote in your word, as surely as I live, every knee will bow before you and every tongue will acknowledge you as God. And each of us will give an account to you. So Lord, help us therefore to stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, would we make up our mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister? For Lord, your word says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, hanging Christmas lights, spending money, etc., but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And your word says that anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. God, we want to serve you in a way that pleases you. Help us, Jesus. Amen.